This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. It's time for another edition of Mythbusters here on Food First Michigan. During this show, Jerry Brisson and I will look for the half-truths, misinformation, and the unchallenged myths about the work of food insecurity and the people who are faced with it. Myths can be true, but are often less than accurate and lead to a mischaracterization of the subject. This misinformation comes in many forms, but one of the most common is generalization. Generalizations are often based on an ounce of evidence, a drop of data, and oftentimes an inconsequential experience or observation. Lazy thinking like this can only lead to harmful, wrong conclusions. Generalizations lead us to the undisciplined characterizations of people, situations, and events causing us to draw faulty conclusions based on defective assumptions. Do I need to remind you what happens when any of us assume? That's right. When you assume, you make an ass out of you and me both. That's right. One more time for those in the back of the room who can't spell. A-S-S-U-M-E. Assume. Jerry joins me next to bust some myths and kick some assumptions out of here. Next on Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson and I here to kick some myths out of here. It's Jerry. Um... There's a lot of there is a lot of half truths associated with our work, and we did a show a few weeks ago, MythBusters 1.0, and today it's MythBusters 2.0. Well, I'm eager to get through this. You know, uh, I was just talking to you about my blood pressure today, and you know, some of these myths get my blood pressure right up there, doctor. So let's let's get this off my chest so I can you know get my blood pressure back to normal. All right. All right. Let's do it. So you're right. I mean, this is, you know, we care about this work. We're investing our one handful of life in it. It means a lot to us. And when people spread misinformation or they mischaracterize the work in some way, then yeah, right. Our blood pressure gets up uh, and we have to deal with it. And fortunately, we have a radio show and a podcast that allows us to do that. Um, Not everybody has that outlet. Right, you are, and uh, and weren't didn't we just get uh, you know named one of the best podcasts in the country for talking about this issue? So hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's 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 working. So let's keep working it. All right, here's our here's our you know we did four myths in the other show, so I'm going to say here's our fifth myth that we want to bust that contradicts some of the assumptions that are made about our work and the people that we serve. So here's the first one, Jerry. Let me just read it, and then you give me your immediate reaction, and then we'll flesh it out. Myth number five, hunger in America isn't a real crisis. What's your reaction to that statement? 
Well, my first reaction is the only people that would say that are people who aren't hungry. I mean, I'm just going to say right off the top that that's a myth not held by the people who are working two jobs and still can't figure out how to make ends meet. That's, you know, when we looked at the self-sufficiency standard, which, which says how much a family needs wherever they're living in any county in Michigan, whatever their family makeup is, it gives you an idea what that household budget is every month. One of the things that we learned is of, I believe it was the top 12 jobs Jobs in Michigan, only one, and that was nursing, paid a living wage according to those very austere budgets. And so, you know, th- those folks are doing everything right. So many people are doing everything right, and they're still struggling to make ends meet. So the crisis is real. It's, it's uh, you know, again, to, to say that it's not real means that you're fortunate. And God bless you for that, because, you know, we want everyone to be in your place, but it's not true that just because it's not a crisis for you doesn't make it not a crisis for everyone. Well, you're right, and I'll be a little more candid than you. There, People who are saying this, this misinformation, are blessed, but they're also ignorant. And, you know, there's a cure for ignorance, and that's called education. And so that's part of this show is that we're educating, we're changing the conversation about food insecurity, and we're building a movement to address it. So, you know, saying hunger in America isn't a real crisis just denies the, the, the data. I mean, the national average of 10.5% of the American population struggles with food insecurity. That is not knowing when they're going to have enough food or, or where that food's going to come from. Now, that's a real number. So let's think about that. 10.5% of the American population. Well, Jerry, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35 million people. I mean, it's real for somebody. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, and and it's not just about the 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 you know the, just the total number of people it's also about what happens when you're food insecure that makes it a crisis i mean let let's just talk about health care you know when someone is sick and they have to choose between food and treatment for a health problem it creates serious complications in their life beyond just being out of food right whether it's diabetes or whether it's high blood pressure or kidney disease or anything all of those things require a a proper diet and if you don't manage your diet the cost of not only your cost of time and money, but the whole healthcare system is paying the cost of food insecurity, and it adds up to billions of dollars a year. Billions of dollars a year. If you don't think that's a crisis, I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the cascading impact of food insecurity is enormous. Kids don't learn in school. You want kids not to learn in school? How can that not be a crisis? Right. Well, and then you you just extrapolate that out further, and when kids aren't learning in school, and we'll we'll take third grade reading level by third grade. If that's not if they're not at level, and one of the contributing factors to that is that they don't don't get enough of food, and they don't get enough of the right food, so that their minds don't develop. Well, where are you going to be in ten or twelve years from there? You're going to be talking about a workforce now. Well, you know, ask a small business owner, ask a, ask a corporation, ask a, a manufacturing company. 
it's a crisis then for sure. You know, and, and Jerry, I, I want to steer maybe just another, and you, you almost got there in your previous comments. Let me see if I can push you down the road a little bit further. Recently, we had um, Katie Martin on the show who, who wrote uh, a book, Reinventing Food Banks, and uh, we got great reviews from that show, by the way. And, um, and she, she makes a point in the book, and I want us to kind of talk about that for a minute, that, that hunger in America is no longer a crisis, she would say, because it's a long-term problem. Now, I think there is a crisis element to it, because if you don't have enough food today, how many problems do you have? One. <laughs> right? So it's a crisis. What am I going to eat? What am I going to give my kids? It is a crisis in that sense. But I think she makes a valid point in that we've been dealing with this for decades now. And, and you know, I, I want to say we're making some progress, both from the food bank and from a national perspective, but I do think we have to realize that that it is a, a longer-term issue. It's one of the first steps in food insecurity is one of the first steps into poverty. And I think it's one of the reasons why Food First needs to be part of the poverty solution. Well, I think that's exactly right. And, and uh, uh, you know, the um, people go in and out of crisis, right? So, so the long-term reality is that for many people, they have enough food this month, but next month they don't, right? Mm -hmm. And so I understand Katie's point about saying when your life is, is dynamic like that, you're going in and out, in and out, and in and out of crisis, you can't just think about the crisis part of your life. You have to think about that whole dynamic, right, of n not all of the food we distribute is because of those moments of crisis. Some of the food we distribute, in fact, a significant amount, has to do with the fact that wages haven't kept up with costs of living. And so what do you do about that? And there's people with a lot of ideas about that, but whatever those ideas are, working on policies that, that affect what people have to do to make ends meet is a really important part of managing all this. That's not just about a crisis. Those are systemic issues that have to be managed with a long-term point of view. And that's one of the things I really liked about Katie's book is that she's saying we can't just look down. We have to look up and out, right? And as we look hmm. up and out and really think about what are the long-term costs and consequences of the choices we're making today, we get beyond a crisis mentality. But in the meantime, there is a lot of crisis in this work. There's a lot of people who are going through crisis times for, and, and who experience our network really from that emergency point of view. So both are important, both are true, but the fact of the matter is hunger in America is a crisis. It shouldn't be a crisis. There are two words that should never go together. What are those two words, doctor? Children and hunger. That's exactly right. And if that doesn't say crisis to you, I don't know what would. I mean, frankly, yeah. um, we can't have hungry kids in our in our communities. We can't. We we have to invest in our future. So, hunger in America isn't a real crisis. What do you think, Doctor? That myth is busted. Well, we're going to pick it up on the other side of this break, Jerry, because if if the myth is hunger in America isn't a real crisis. Guess what myth number six is? Some people think, well, it might be someplace else, but hunger isn't in my community. Jerry and I are going to talk about that 
next. You come back and be with us. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. And thanks for joining us. We're busting some myths and kicking some assumptions out of here, Jerry, about our work and the people we serve. And, uh, you know, we did a show, a Mythbusters show here, and we talked about homelessness. We talked about uh, food um, uh, you know, just not addressing root causes of food insecurity or poverty. We talked about SNAP being the absolute best solution. Um, and we also talked about the, the parents feeding kids. And certainly Gleaners has been a, 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 a pace setter in helping get the grocery model uh, food to parents so that they can feed kids. And that myth was certainly busted because it was um, – it was proven in your in your pilot that that's exactly what parents did when they had the food they prepared it for their kids so right. you know it's just uh it's i, I kind of like busting myths here yeah i do too I do too. It's uh, and it's important work, and it's a little bit of fun too. So hopefully, you as a listener are really enjoying the the, the rant uh, realities of myth busting. We certainly do, and uh, and but it is important to continue to educate people what's really happening because if you're trying to solve a problem but you're denying the truth, it's hard to solve the problem. Well, we all know what happens, as I said in the monologue. When, what happens when you when you assume? And uh, assumptions are a dangerous part of this work. It's uh, full of pitfalls, cliffhangers, and quicksand. And none of those are good for any of us as we are thinking about how to do this work and, the, and how to help the people and the communities that we serve. How about myth number six, Jerry? Myth number five said that hunger in America isn't a real crisis. We kicked that assumption out of here. Myth number six said it might be somewhere else, but hunger isn't in my community. What's your reaction? Well, my reaction is how many times in your life has someone come up to you and, and maybe you've said, hey, how's it going? And they say, great, I'm doing good. Or they might say, oh, I don't know, you know what, things could be better. Or they might say something about it. But how many times have people said, you know what, I don't, I don't have enough food at home and I don't know where it's coming from. How about never? How about that will never happen? How about you will never, ever hear that from anyone ever. And why don't you hear it? Because people want to be self-sufficient. Everybody, everybody. There's, there's, there's so few exceptions to this. People want to depend on themselves. They want to. And so they don't want to tell you about uh, if they're having a, a real difficulty making ends meet. They don't want to tell you about that. They're proud and they should be. We want to encourage pride in people. But what happens because of that is it's a hidden problem. And so people don't realize there's hungry people in their community. One thing we know, though, is every school district, every single one, has some families who are getting free and reduced lunches for their kids at school. We know that's true. And, mm -hmm. and, and what that means is you have people in your community who are struggling to make ends meet. And some people in your community, wherever you are, who aren't telling you this, but it's still true, that at the end of at least some months, 
they didn't have enough food. On average, a food insecure person is missing five meals a week. That's on average. So some weeks are better and some weeks aren't. But that's a lot of missing meals, and it's happening everywhere. Well, you're exactly right. Jerry, let me give you a statistic that kind of proves what you just shared. Did you know that in a, in a recent um, poll by the Federal Reserve Board, okay, they polled, they did a survey, and here's what they found. Many people in America are on the brink. As you said in the earlier segment, some people are in and out of crisis. They're in and out of food security or food insecurity. 40% of Americans reported if faced with a $400 emergency, they would have to borrow the money, sell something, or not be able to pay some other bill. 40%. Right. I mean, if that doesn't illustrate it for us right there, I mean, and, you know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, hunger in America isn't a crisis or hunger isn't in my community. And this, the, the information you shared about school districts certainly proves that. But I think another myth associated with this is people will think that, yeah, okay, well, well, food insecurity or hunger crisis might exist in the urban areas, not in the rural. But, Jerry, did you know that 79% of the counties with the highest hunger rates in America are in rural areas? 79% of the counties can you that go, have I the mean, highest rates of food insecurity and hunger are rural counties. Yes. I mean, if that... I mean, if, if data matters, which we believe it does, it's a value proposition for us, this is the kind of information you need to help us do our work better to make sure we're getting the right food to the right people in the right places. So, and if the um, systems aren't in place to take care of that, right, which a lot of times they're not, then you have to think about who's your best partners out there so you can take care of hunger uniquely in every community. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? You've got to really look at where hunger is. And because hunger is in every community, but systems to address it aren't in every community, you've got to be right. thinking about how to get that stuff in place. And I know that's why we bring partners like education and healthcare into the conversation because they are in those communities, right? There are people who care about the health and well-being of kids and, and people who are struggling with, with chronic disease or illness. And, and, and of course, you know, by working with those partners, we can find new and more effective solutions to do both more and better. But we won't get anywhere in that work if people don't believe that hunger exists. And well, it's there. It is. It is there. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work of the Food Bank Council in this and, and uh, some of our team, Dr. Dawn Opal, um, you know, Dr. Will Mahoney, Dr. Steve Borders. Uh, are all working to help us understand uh, through a data lens where people are that need help. And then we can answer your questions, which are who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long. And you know what? 
Yep. I want to just tell one one story, and this is this is a story of a woman who who lived in Oakland County, which is which is got a lot of prosperous areas, and um, in her life, she uh, went through a divorce, and then immediately thereafter got cancer, and so she and her two kids were in a really bad way. Now they still lived in the same house; they still had the same car, but. They didn't have any food at home. So she went to a food pantry to try to get some food. And while she was standing in line at the food pantry, she saw a parent of one of her kid's friends giving out the food. So she turned around and left and did not pick up any food for her family and cried her eyes out out of guilt Hmm. and shame. Now, the fact is, hunger is in your community. There are people just like her who see you helping and rather than going and and getting the help they need, feel embarrassed and ashamed that they're in this position. The fact is life is hard. It throws a lot of curveballs our way and nobody, nobody feels good about needing help. And yet we have to find a way to make sure that people feel okay, that at times you need help. And, uh, and I, I just can't say enough. There, there's so many stories from people who really have done everything they can do and still need help. And we've got to find a way to take that shame away. Hunger is in our community and we've got to take care of the people who are going through it. Uh, beautifully stated, my friend. Thanks for sharing that. So doctor, hunger isn't in my community. Myth. Busted. He's Jared Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, quick, tell everybody your Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew I it. I should know. You are terrible. Okay, don't terrible. follow Jerry. Follow me. Don't follow, follow Dr. Dr. Phil, Phil 1-4. <laughs> Dr. Phil 14 on Twitter. Follow me. I'll get you connected to Jerry since he doesn't know his own Twitter handle. God but help I knew us, he wouldn't know it. T- Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's all right. But you can follow us on social media. Find Food First Michigan on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, I don't know where else we are. Oh, we're on TikTok. I forgot about that. We're new on TikTok. In fact, Rob Fowler, who was on the show from the Small Business Association uh, more recently, said, hey, you guys, I didn't know you were so cool. You're on TikTok. And, of course, I said, hey, I didn't know we were on TikTok either. But we are. So we're on all of them. You can follow us there. Meanwhile, we're busting some myths and we're kicking some assumptions out of our uh, work here and as it reflects on food security and the families that we serve across the state. Jerry, myth number seven uh, in our myth busters, uh, you know, uh, dialogue here, I think is something that's uh, is pretty relevant to the national conversation, cert- certainly across our network and, and for those who are looking on the outside in and seeing us do our work. Um, 
I think there were people who were very, very surprised to see the role and the importance of food banking during this pandemic. Uh, one of the ways we talked about that is um, I opted out that I wrote a couple weeks ago that said basically the federal government and the state government did all, I really, I don't know they did all, but they did a lot to make sure that people had access to food. And they still needed the food banks, the community-based organization, the charitable organizations, the nonprofits to step up and do more work than we've ever done in our history in order to help meet this need. But yet there is a myth out there that says food provided by food banks is a stopgap and it never really changes anything. What's your reaction? <laughs> well, my reaction is that just simply isn't true because, in fact, we think there's four significant ways that giving people food today changes things, not only today, but for the future. And, and we talk about these four things. The economic impact we provide with our food distributions is one of the ways. The, the way that we help stabilize households. They, if they have the food from our food distributions, they can manage their monthly trade-offs better. There's no question about it. We know that when people have access to the healthy fruits and vegetables and, and other foods that we distribute, it helps to improve their health and community health overall. And we also know that if we can take away this problem, people will have time to work on other things. So, so those are four ways we know for sure. There's no question that feeding people today does more than just stop a gap. It provides, especially when families know they have access to the to the food when they need it, and it's food that they want and need, it helps them overcome these crises in their life. And moving past that crisis and moving on to other things, it helps them be more self-sufficient and sustainable and, and work on other things. All of those things are critically important to move ahead, whatever that looks like for that particular household. So, so we know for sure that our work is more than just a stopgap, that it really makes long-term impacts in people's lives. And that's one of the most important messages we have to, we have to let people know. Uh, I really believe it is the, it's the biggest myth of them all, that, mm -hmm. that emergency food only helps today. And there's this saying that it's better to, to teach someone to fish than it is to give them a fish. But the fact of the matter is, if you teach someone to fish, but it takes four or five days to walk to the lake, they're going to die before they get there. You, you can't just teach people to fish. While you're teaching people to fish, you have to be giving them a fish. It's work that goes together. It's not work that you separate out. So I think that that myth of food provided by food banks is simply a stopgap. Not only do I think it's not true, but I think it's a dangerous myth when you start looking at the importance of the, the safety net and how it really affects people's lives. Uh, I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I believe that creating food security in a family's life is the first step out of poverty. And as we've talked about, that once that is hap once that occurs and hunger comes off the table, then people's minds are free from that toxic stress of 
What am I going to eat? What am I going to give my kids? Let me see if I can highlight your economic impact a little bit with a story. So recently I was, um, I was in Lansing. That's where our office is at. I was meeting with some representatives and I had a representative say to me, he said, because I was asking them to help us increase um, one of our line items that allows us to buy fresh produce and dairy from Michigan farmers and ranchers. And so uh, he said, Phil, I want to help you do that. But I, I got to tell you, I got a concern coming out of my district. I said, well, tell me about it, representative. And he said, uh, you know, you guys bring these 50 some odd foot semi trailers. You, you know, you're in a parking lot. And, and people line up for miles to come get the food. It's amazing what you do. But you know what? The grocers in my district are saying, hey, you know what? That's a problem because when, that, when the food banks come and do that, nobody's coming to the grocery store. I think, well, nobody's probably an exaggeration. And he said, but so they're complaining about your food distributions because you're giving so much food away. And I said, well, let me see if I can help you about that. Do you think that, uh, I said, who's your utility provider in the district? He said, oh, that would be consumers. I said, well, great. Do you think consumers is complaining about our food distributions? He said, I hadn't heard it. I said, do you, how many, how many people in your uh, district own their home or are paying rent? Well, he said, well, I think probably just about all of them. I said, well, you think those landlords and mortgage companies are complaining that people are paying their rent? They're paying their, they're paying their mortgage? No. I said, well, that's what the food distribution does. It's economic impact because it at least takes one trade-off that a family's having to make every month. What do I spend my money on? Do I buy medicine? Do I fix the car? Do I, I mean, we just said 40% of families in America faced with a $400 financial crisis would have to borrow the money, sell something, or not pay some other bill. Those are trade-offs, Jerry, and that's the impact that food banks have in the lives of families every day. Every day there's a distribution. Well, and to put that, I mean, even some more economic numbers to this, for an adult with two school-age kids, their household budget for food is about $620 a month. That's from the self-sufficiency standard, which I already mentioned. So if this family visited an average food distribution anywhere in the state of Michigan, they would get about $67 worth of food. So it's about 11%, just under 11% of their household budget. At minimum wage, that would represent seven hours of work. So almost a full day of work just to pay for that food if they didn't get it from a food distribution. And households typically get food distributions twice a month. So that means they're getting $134 worth of food, about 21% of their food budget, which again is worth 14 hours of work. So, so when you think about the economic impact of those food distributions, just in terms of hard dollars and cents, you know what, if we can help people take their hard earned money so they can get other things that they want and need to make ends meet, that is, that is a perfectly good thing to do. And it does help people more than just a stopgap. Oh, absolutely. It does. You know, the other thing too, I want to, before we close this myth out, one in three people who screen food insecure will not qualify for any other benefits like SNAP. 
one in three. So while SNAP is doing its job, and it's, it's a great program, and we appreciate it, there are people above SNAP but below self-sufficiency that will not qualify for any, any type of benefit that are totally need us to walk alongside of them and at this time in their life. And that's not just economic value. That food brings hope. It de-stresses their life. It, it, it's, a, it's, you know, we're, we have an entire segment of our work that talks about trauma-informed service. The impact that food insecurity has on the heart and on the soul and on the mind, the emotions of a person. And I don't think that that can be ignored. We probably don't talk about that enough as an effect, a negative effect that food insecurity has on people's lives. Let's make a promise to talk about that trauma-informed impact. Let's, let's make a promise to get a guest on who can tell us more about that specifically. Because I know that's a, that is, there's a whole new conversation going on uh, even now about how much we're learning about that and, and how it affects people. And I think that would be a really, really good guest to have. So we'll make a promise to do that. We're going to do it. All right, doctor. So food provided by food banks is simply a stopgap that doesn't change anything? Myth? Busted. But right now we're going to take a break, and Jerry and I will be back up to wrap up this edition of Mythbusters on Food First Michigan. Welcome back. Jerry and I are here to wrap up this edition of Mythbusters. Busters on our show, Food First Michigan. Jerry, I really, these myths just annoy the ah. out of me sometimes. Well, yeah, they do. And that's why we got to cover it. And, I, and and again, it's it's sort of fun to do it and to, to have a show where we get to rant a little bit about the, the things that we feel like getting our way. But hopefully, as you said, uh, the cure is a little education, a little bit of information, a little bit of data, and, and we can cure a lot. Uh, with just that. And I think we've done it. I think we've given some good information that helps people understand that food provided by food banks is more than just a stopgap, that hunger is in your community, and that hunger in America is, in fact, a real crisis. But, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about enough is, as a caring community, food provides value uh, it provides respect. It's not just about even all of the practical benefits, and you touched on it in the last segment, the emotional benefits it provides um, to people when you give them food. Yeah, Jerry, I think that when you look at our work across our network, that, um, I mean, millions of pounds of food that get distributed from our seven Feeding America food banks here in Michigan. Um, I, I often tell people that the the biggest commodity that we trade in isn't food, that it's really hope. And it's trust. I think people trust us that the food is going to be good and it's going to be safe. But food has a tremendous ability to demonstrate value. I mean, think about it. When you're going to have somebody over for dinner or somebody's coming into town, you want to take them out for dinner, you think really hard, like, you're a great chef. You're a great cook. You think really hard, what am I going to make them that's going to be special? Or where am I going to take them so that they're going to have this experience. And what you're really trying to do is communicate how much you value that person. And you know that, you know, I spent, invested 10 years of my life in East Africa. And you and I could drive into a village in Tanzania, in Uganda, in Kenya, somewhere, and there might be a handful of food left in the entire village. And as soon as we drive in, step out of our Land Rover, they're going to run to start fixing that food. 
It might not be anything but cornmeal paste. They call it ugali. Just water and cornmeal. But they're going to make it. They're going to cook it. They're going to find some place for us to sit in the shade. And they're going to bring the last bit of food they have. And they're going to give it to us. Why? Because they want to communicate value. And I never got over that. How the poorest people you could have possibly imagined. Mud huts, grassroots, no industry, no development, no schools, 100% illiteracy. Knew the value of food. And that's what it really means. That's the power of what we do, of what this network does, not just here in Michigan, but nationwide. The biggest yeah. commodities we trade in, it's hope and trust. Yeah, and, and what an exciting message to give to our listeners, too, that as you get involved in this work and as you become of a part of providing this food for people who need it right now and food that's more than just a stopgap and food that's helping people move on to their next problem. You're also letting them know you care. You're also providing a huge amount of value to them. And that's a, that's a beautiful way, I think, to end this Mythbusters segment. Well, time for a little food for thought. Creating generalizations based on assumptions is dangerous, creates misinformation, and is one of the biggest challenges facing us as we strive to create a hunger-free community. I will remind each of us that it was the greatest philosopher who challenged us to judge not, lest we be judged with the same judgment we render. No thanks. I will try to listen, lead, and learn. I will leave the judging to others. In the meantime, we will work to leave assumptions in the past and keep our present and future focused on food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.